Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and we hope you are encouraged by today's message. And um, what I want to do tonight is we're going we're gonna to jump right in. Um, I sincerely mean it when I believe God wants to resurrect risk in our lives. Um, I would argue that the safest place to be when you start trying to follow Jesus, the safest place to be is at the place of risk. I've got one, one guy that believes risk is a kingdom. It's going to be a fun night. I, I love a good fight. I'm willing to fight with you tonight. Let's look at Psalm chapter 50. Um, tonight's message is titled, God's Radical Acceptance and His Loving Resistance. Okay, Psalm 50, verses eight through 15. It says, not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. So we know where a rebuke's been happening up to this point in this psalm. This isn't a psalm of David, it's from another individual. He says, your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine. And so let's just take a little perspective check here when we think about worship. Worship is figuring out how to ascribe to God how awesome and amazing he is, right? And so God throughout humanity is raising up a people. We're reading about a season of human history where God is raising up a people, and this people has continually at times strayed away. Okay, to get a rebuke from God, it usually meant you either started serving other gods instead of the God who's above every God, or you've started dealing wrongly with God's people. Or you've stopped being generous with those that have need. Okay, and so what you gotta understand at this time, God's prescription for people was actually to bring bulls, to bring an expression of worship that actually designated that they were for that, for him, yeah? They were supposed to bring something that expressed their highest degree of loyalty and the greatest expression of how amazing he is and how amazing he was to them. And so he's going, listen, I'm not rebuking you because of your expression of worship, I'm not rebuking you because of that, but he says, I'm not accepting any longer the very thing I told you that would help you approach me. And sometimes I think it's important for us to understand when you feel at times in your life there's a healthy resistance that God sometimes applies in our lives. Sometimes his resistance is actually grace. And tonight, I'm hoping you guys will begin to, okay, can, we, can I get an agreement from you? Can you? Will you give me permission to mess with you? No, I need to hear it. I need to, like, I say yes and amen. I give you permission to mess with my theology, with my methodology, and even my psychology. Will you give me, grant me permission for the next few minutes to just mess with all those things? 
Okay, all right, good. Okay, you agreed with me, so I'm gonna do it. And here's the deal. There's nothing you could give God to add value to him. Nothing. We're trying to figure out how do you give something to a being that is utterly perfect. That's what we're trying to figure out as we navigate through this walk. As we try to follow him, how do we follow this other being and demonstrate tangibly, not only to him, but everyone else around us, that he is not only distinct, but we are a people that is also distinct. And that other being comes and goes, the methodology I gave you to actually approach me, I'm not accepting it anymore. He says, verse 10, for every beast of the forest is mine. Do you think I need a goat? Do you think I need a bull? The cattle on a thousand hills is mine. Verse 11, I know all the birds of the hills, all that moves in the field. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. Okay, let's tune in. God, if he's hungry, would not let you know it. He doesn't need your help. I wouldn't tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Verse 13, do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Verse 14, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. I want to propose to you tonight that worship is more than just an expression or an offering. It's a follow through on what you've promised him. Worship, the highest way you could demonstrate tangibly to Yahweh, to our God, and to every other inferior God, and to all of humanity that you actually are a follower and a worshiper of him is that you actually obey. I wish it was more glamorous. The highest expression of worship is exercising your freedom and choosing to take your expression and give it freely to him manifested through following through on what you know you internally have promised to him. Worship in the purest form is manifested as obedience. Father, help us tonight. All these great people have agreed to let me, you, Holy Spirit, mess with them. And so, Lord, I'm asking you to actually sincerely Shake, shake immaturity out of us. Shake ignorance out of us. Shake arrogance out of us. Shake independence out of us. Shake just really bad carnal mindsets out of us. And quicken us to the reality that is Jesus tonight. You said through the knowledge of Jesus, we get free. Lord, let there be freedom here tonight in the mighty, glorious name of Jesus, amen, amen, amen. Thank you, my friend.
Let's look at Jeremiah chapter seven. Jeremiah was speaking to the people and he said, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat the flesh. Again, there's a rebuke going on. What do you do when your methodology, your expressions of prayer, of worship, of singing songs, of confession seem to have no effect? What do you do when you sense there's not a lot of movement to the needle, you know what I mean? Doesn't seem like there's a lot of juice attached to your prayers. What do you do when you sense that God himself might actually be messing with you? That he might actually be resisting some of your desires? Because when you pray, that's why a lot of people don't pray because they don't really wanna hear no, and so it's just safer not to pray. It just is, it's just safer to not ask, especially not ask for big stuff. Because you can get so, we get so easily let down because we've been raised in a culture of like, like Santa Claus, right? We sometimes teach, we, we, we feel like Jesus is Santa Christ instead of Jesus Christ, the anointed one, that he is this, this I don't remember the last time I saw a little kid get up on Santa's lap and go, all I want for Christmas this year is you. That'd be a bit creepy, number one. A bit disturbing for a parent. And so sometimes God resists our methodology and our expressions, not because it's bad worship, not because we're off in tone and key, but he resists it because he's trying to establish something in our lives called the kingdom. He's trying to be, bring something in our lives that can't be shaken in the midst of everything being shaken around us. And he's not trying to be mean and he's not trying to uh, reject us. He's lovingly coming to resist our efforts because he wants us to get back to the heart of worship where it is all about him, but the all about him be the pursuit of him that actually manifests as obedience to him. He says, I just love this, before he ever began to teach about like burnt offerings and sacrifice, he made a real simple command to the Israelites. Look at this in verse 22 of Jeremiah 7. He says, for in the, in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, I did not speak to your fathers or command them concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. That came later. But this command I gave them, real simple, obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. Walk in all the way that I command you that it may be well with you. Now, how many of you want it to be well with you? I've found in my pursuit of Jesus that to obey his voice is a really good way to just have a better life. I wish it was more complex, but he basically tried to make it so simple for the Israelites. He said, I want everybody to be a king and a priest. I didn't just want one guy. I wanted everybody to do that. And here's all I want you to do. 
You've come out of captivity and you've been raised up under false gods and inferior gods and now I'm introducing myself to you as Yahweh, as the God that's above every other God and here's all I ask for you. Just lean in, do your best to listen and hear my voice and then just obey that. I'm gonna show you a way and then just start walking in that way. If you will hear and obey my voice and walk in that way, it's gonna go well with you. That's a really simple way to look at how we express the kingdom in our world. 1 Samuel 15. Israel's first king was named Saul. If you've read anything about his life, he was a deeply insecure human being. God chooses the insecure sometimes to manifest his greatness. He was a head taller than everybody, but didn't realize it. He had a ton of baggage in his life. He was from a small family and battled with insignificance all the way through the time he was being called. He was one time hiding. The Bible says he was hiding with the baggage, and he was hiding behind his baggage a lot, and, but yet he says yes reluctantly, and God raises him up, and God's expectation of a king was that he would represent God well to a people, and it was the first king, and so God, you know, basically listened to the people's voice. They rejected him as their ruler, and they wanted to have an earthly ruler, and, and God gave them an earthly ruler, and he's battling through his insecurity, and God just comes and gives him a simple commandment. Now, it was a radical commandment. He said, I want you to go wipe out the Amalekites. There's a whole reason behind them utterly wanting, him utterly wanting them to be destroyed that we don't have time to get into, but he basically told Saul, here's the deal. If you're gonna represent me well, I want you to go and utterly destroy this enemy that has resisted my people for a long time and have served false gods, inferior gods, and I want you to utterly destroy every single thing. Don't leave one thing. And if you know the story, Saul went and he did a great job, he, he utterly destroyed a lot of things, but he kept the best stuff, right? He kept the best stuff because in his mind and in the people's mind, let's keep the best so we can give the best back to Yahweh. Actually sounds like a good plan, doesn't it? The only problem is, is that Saul let people turn him away from complete obedience. There's always gonna be people in your life that are gonna subtly and not so subtly always get you to compromise just a little bit. And so he, he, he in his mind thought he actually did a very spiritual thing and, and then it just sometimes takes a prophet of God to come and go, let's talk about this. And so 1 Samuel 15, Samuel said to him, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is what? Better than sacrifice. We say this sometimes, not really understanding the context, and what he's saying, sacrifice is good. Yeah? Expressions that express that we're sacrificing to God, that's actually really good, but there's something better. I would argue there's something better we can always give, and that better thing, no matter how well we sang or didn't sing, no matter how much we lifted our hands or didn't lift our hands, there's a better way to express our worship for God, and it's called obedience. 
It's just a better way. And he says, if you'll follow that way, I didn't say anything about perfection. But there's something in us, if there's this thing that's growing in us and the Holy Spirit is in us, as we continue to walk with God, walk with Yahweh, the God above every other God, and he continues to show us his way through Jesus, right? Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. If we devote ourselves to abiding in his word, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples. In John 8, 31, he said, you're really my disciples when you start abiding in me and in my word, because Jesus and his word were one. And so when it talks about abiding in his word, it's talking about abiding in him. Jesus later in John 15 talked about abiding, right? If you abide in me, you know, you're gonna bear a lot of fruit. He said, by this the Father's glorified that you bear a bunch of fruit. Like when I drill down into anything I'm preaching from this day forward, I'm trying to figure out how to get you guys to buy into the reality that if you abide in Jesus, you can start bearing really good fruit and by really good fruit and a bunch of that really good fruit, you can actually bring glory to God. Because all the great catechisms, most of them when they ask the question about God, they start with what, what is man's purpose on the planet, and every answer is usually to bring glory to this God. Then we gotta start asking, what does he actually delight in? What is he actually interested in? What actually pleases him? Not what we think does, not what an artist who writes songs think does. For your life, what does he actually expect of you? What actually pleases him? It'd be really smart for your family to get together. If you don't have a family, it'd be really smart to get together with your friends, right? And it'd be really smart to start diving into the question, offering it to the Holy Spirit and go, what do you desire? And then you bring your lifestyle to him and you go, what do you desire? You look at my lifestyle. What do you desire in my lifestyle, in my expression of life? because we gotta move away from the church having to like dictate that for us. We're supposed to be growing up into maturity where each family member gets before God and goes, hey, I'm a part of this whole family. What do you desire from me as I fit in the context of this? How can I please you? What are you delighting in in this season for me? Because here's the deal, how depressing to have brought a bunch of bulls and a bunch of goats and go through all that work and all that blood you're going through all that, right? And God shows up one day through a prophet and goes, everything you've been offering, I haven't been receiving for the last several months. And then we get really mad at him because he wasn't doing something for us because we thought he was moved by our expression, not realizing that he's actually moved by our obedience that's behind the expression. To obey is better than sacrifice. To listen, to listen is better than the fat of rams. Go to Isaiah chapter 11, please. All right, I'm gonna mess with you now. I'm gonna challenge you. This is a big rebuke. Basically, in this rebuke, God is calling his people daughters of Sodom and Gomorrah. This is not good. When you hear your, your 
God refer to you as anything relating to Sodom and Gomorrah, it's bad news. Some of you that don't know what Sodom and Gomorrah is, ask somebody else. I don't have time to get into it tonight. He goes, what to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams, and I've had enough of fat on well-fed beasts. I do not take delight or pleasure in the blood of bulls anymore, or lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who's required of you this trampling in my courts? What do you do when you bring the very thing he wanted, and all of a sudden he feels like the, the Lord himself not only rejects what you're bringing, but goes, it's disgusting. What do we do with that? And I'm not saying God's doing that to anyone right now. I'm just, I'm just speculating that I think we have to grow a little bit in our understanding and maturity with God and start realizing if you, how many parents do we have in here? Okay, if you as a parent have a child that comes to you and lifts their hands to you and says, hey, would you pick me up? Would you hold me? But you know that child just punched your other child in the throat. <laughs> like you have prior knowledge that you saw what they did. and your child comes and lifts their hands and you know they did that, what is your response gonna be to that child? Oh, come up here, buddy. Let's just hang out for it. Praise the Lord for you. You're so awesome and wonderful. You're truly an arrow that God described of you in Psalm 127. <laughs> oh, you're just amazing. I can't wait to pour more into you so that you can be shot out into this world. No, you resist him because you realize he is trying to separate and compartmentalize his behavior from his worship. I'm telling you, I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start messing with me and you. I, when I was preparing this day, man, I had to repent of so much. Not because I want to offer to God something that is off, it wasn't my expression, it was sometimes my attitude. How many of you wanna be a better worshiper? Then that means you gotta be a better obeyer. Is that a word? He says, verse 13, he goes, bring no more vain or empty worthless offerings. See, incense is an abomination to me. What do you do with that? When your God comes and you've been offering incense thinking that's what he liked, what do you do when he says your incense is an abomination? Like what if God actually came tonight and did? He said, those four songs you did tonight were a waste of your time. You wasted all the people serving and kids. You wasted everybody's time because what you brought, I didn't even desire. I'm not even after what you brought. That's what it would be like. Me standing up and going, let's redo song number three. He completely ignored you in song number three. 
And he began to reveal the why. And that's what he's doing. He's revealing for his people, not to torment, not to bring condemnation and shame, to get them to course correct and get back on track. God has to interfere with your life. He has to step in as a dad sometimes and be a disciplinarian. Because without discipline, Hebrews says you're an illegitimate child. You feel lost, insecure, and you try to find your identity in everything else. Sometimes you need a loving no. This is good advice if you have children. Some of you aren't willing to battle through the emotional discomfort of saying no, and so you just give in. God doesn't give in to your little tactics. He sees what you did to your boss. He sees what you did to your friend. He sees what you did. Now listen to what happens here. He, he says, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. <laughs> they become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. He goes after Sabbaths. He goes after holy convocations. He goes after every bit of their expression and he goes, and here's on top of that. When you lift your hands, I turn away. When you pray, I do this. And I'm gonna introduce a thought to you tonight. I think it's his grace. I think it's better that he doesn't look upon our vain worship because that means it's gonna come and have to be brought to light later. That's a good dad. See, when my, as a parent, when my kid comes to me, even though he's intentionally hurt, I go, don't wanna hear another word, bud, till you go make it right with them. Don't you even think about coming trying to get something from me. How dare you? Get your little butt back in that room and you go make it right. Fix your face, fix your attitude, and fix your heart right now. Readjust. I do not want you lifting your hands. See, that's what I'm doing. I'm looking away because I know it's just gonna make me mad. It's gonna frustrate me. It's gonna build up wrath and anger. And see, God's so good, he goes, I can't even, I won't even look for their sake. I'm not gonna look at what they're offering me. I'm not gonna listen to their prayer for their sake because every idle word they're gonna be judged for. I'm not gonna let them accrue any more judgment. I'm actually gonna have mercy on them and shut my ears to them and frustrate all their plans and all their prayers so they finally come to a place of realization that they've missed the mark and they've manipulated the system for way too long and they've been pursuing more of the expression than they have the one who they're supposed to express it to. And so he's just messing, he just messes with all that. And, and he says, this is what's amazing. He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together. See, and then when he hears that prayer, his ears are sh shut and his eyes are not looking. And then he hears this one little thought that comes from a worshiper that says, I'm sorry. And he goes, no, 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 seriously, Lord, I'm really sorry. I'm sorry I've been bitter at people. I'm sorry I've grumbled and complained. I'm sorry I use you like a butler. 
I'm just really sorry. Suddenly he flips around and looks at your hands and opens his ears and says, come up here. David said burnt offering and sacrifice you don't require. This was after he committed murder, adultery, was a lied. He goes, I know you don't require those, but here's what I do know you love. You love a broken and contrite heart. Here, that's what I have for you, Lord. See, when you repent and you put your trust and faith back into his methodology, you can actually reason with God. You can start talking to him, reason with him a little bit. That's all I'm doing with you tonight. I'm just trying to reason with you a little bit. I think it's reasonable to expect that we should want to obey. It's a good place to start. I think it's reasonable to look at worship like obedience. I think it's reasonable to dare to take some steps tonight towards radical obedience. I do, I think it's wise, I think it's good, I think it's healthy. Verse 19, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat, the, eat of the good land. If you refuse and rebel, you're gonna eat from the sword. Now, if you were given the opportunity to eat from the good land or eat what comes from a sword, the, the choice is easy. Don't mistake his resistance to your expressions of prayer, praise, offerings, and worship as his rejection of you. Don't mistake his resistance as rejection. It's resistance with a purpose. Don't mistake the trials you go through as God's rejection of you. Jesus said, if you're offering your gift at the altar and remember your brother has something against you, leave the gift. See, God says, leave the gift with me. I'll take care of it. I'm not accepting it right now, but I'll take care of it. I believe he doesn't accept the gift if we're not in alignment with other humans. That's just Brian Schwartz, maybe. Maybe that's bad theology. But I do not think we can come in here and get our little worship. Oh, I love you, Lord. You're amazing. Praise your name. And we have this thing in our heart against another brother, or you, you understand, you can't do that with God. You can't compartmentalize that. You are who you are no matter where you are. That this is a whole, so I, I, I feel like he's saying, man, I'll take care of it. I'm not gonna get all weird on you. But I do expect you before I'm gonna receive, let you think I'm gonna receive this, if you're not willing to follow through on the simple instructions I gave you, which is love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself, if you won't even take the time to forgive and release, I don't know why you're sitting here getting your worship on. It just seems like vanity. It seems like an utter waste of time. Wait a minute, are you saying that? Yeah. I think we waste a lot of breath when we could have used it on reconciling with a brother or sister, or we could have used it to forgive somebody, or we could have used it to heal somebody, or we could have, I, I just, under the old covenant, acceptance with God and righteousness of a believer was obtained through radical obedience and sacrifice. It required obedience and blood. Under the new covenant, acceptance with God and righteousness of the believer is obtained through radical obedience and a sacrifice called blood. The difference is, 
in the new covenant, you actually are united with the one who did the radical obedience for you as you and sacrificed his blood for you. You know, it's not that radical to get baptized. Here's what's radical. You bring your whole family up here tonight, you bring a goat, or no, 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 we provide the goat. You bring your family up here, you lay your hands on that goat, this is radical, you lay your hands on that goat and you start confessing all the sins of your family over that goat. And then every other family comes and does the same thing. And then about 1 a.m. when all the confession is over, you then watch a priest come and take a big knife, slit the goat's throat, makes you watch as they drain the blood into a basin, and then he comes and he goes, hey, come here. And he takes that blood and he sprinkles you with it. That's radical. Us going, hey, respond to your surrender of Jesus publicly and get in some water. Oh, that's just too radical. Hey, come up and take communion with your family. And if you have any issues with anybody else, deal with it. So radical. Hey, you say you serve Yahweh. Start taking steps towards giving financially. So radical. The government demands 10%. Why can't you start there? It's so radical. They compel you to do it. You get the free choice to do it with God. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, what are we doing? So radical. Stay married to the same person you committed to. So radical. Hey, don't have sex before you get married. That's so radical. No, what's radical is having to bring a goat or a turtle dove up here because you've had sex before marriage, and we gotta cut that thing up and make a stew out of it or something just to say we, okay, be released of your sin of sexuality. No, steward your life like you're actually free. So radical. Don't forget the new covenant is based upon radical obedience and radical sacrifice. It just doesn't happen to be yours. But don't think because you don't technically have to that you're not expected to. I mentioned nothing about perfection. Hebrews chapter 10, and then we're gonna just shut this thing down and just lay violent hands on you and just get so. Look at this, this is amazing. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, it can never, the law can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every single year, it can never make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have consciousness of sins. But if these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, every year you look at your family and go, okay, day of atonement, 
okay, let's get everything ready. Let's get our sackcloth. Let's get ashes. Let's put a solemn face on. Let's go show up before the priest. And let's go through this horrific ritual and be reminded of how disgustingly sinful we are. And here's what would happen sometimes. That scapegoat, they would take a second goat, they would kill one, take a second one. They'd cast the other one out and make an offering to Azazel, this other false deity, this other lower Elohim. And sometimes the goat would come back. Goats have better sense of direction than sheep. Imagine you all thought your sin left the camp and then it showed back up. And then you're going, oh, what do we do with this? It's believed that they actually stationed somebody out in the wilderness to make sure that if that thing tried to come back, that guy would kill it. <laughs> Consequently, verse five, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you've not desired. He's quoting Psalm 40, verses six through eight. But a body you've prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you've not taken any pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When, when he said above, you've neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices or offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. Verse nine, then he added, behold, I've come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second, talking about a covenant, and by that will we have been sanctified or made holy and distinct through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I wish it was just stopped at that good news. It says, every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting for a time of his enemies to become part of his footstool. Verse 14, this blows my mind. For by a single offering, he has, say it with me, perfected, which means complete, fully furnished for all time, those who are being sanctified. You've heard the teachings, I'm sure, by the, the grace guys, right? I love grace guys, I love grace. But they use this terminology. Don't be sin conscious. Be righteousness conscious. That's a great idea, isn't it? I wanna elevate your, your, your aim. Don't just be righteousness conscious, be perfection conscious. You literally, through the one offering Jesus, have been perfected. You're not incomplete tonight. That's crazy. That's crazy talk. That takes faith to believe. That takes a radical faith. So if you understand how radically accepted you are, that you are, see, your issue's not a disobedience or an obedience issue when it comes to your expressions. You wanna know why God actually accepts your expression? Is because you're perfect. Not because your expression was perfect. Your expression, every great song these guys write is still flawed. It still lacks something. That's not a cut, that's just reality. Your best work, your best efforts of obedience are still failing pretty miserably. 
So think of it like this. You're standing there worshiping. You're off key. Everybody knows it except you. Your parents didn't have a heart to tell you when you were little that you couldn't sing. But you're off key. But, but because you're perfect, your worship now is actually complete and perfect. When you lift your hands, they're no longer unclean hands. They're actually perfect hands. See, if you knew you were perfect, you would praise different, pray different, lift your hands different, tithe different, give different. Because you know you're not lacking because you know you're perfect through your union with Jesus. That's pretty amazing. This radical acceptance should at least provoke a willingness to want to be radically obedient. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information about Celebration Church or to get in touch with us, please visit celebration.org.